Hello guys, welcome back. My name is Casey Louise and you are listening to the audio only version of my YouTube sit and chat videos. Thank you so much for listening. Would appreciate if you subscribe and if you are a mama or papa with little ones around, I would recommend popping your headphones in because I occasionally do use a little bit of profane language. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and let me know what you think. Bye. Hey guys, Casey Louise here. Welcome back to my channel. Would appreciate if you follow along on Instagram at casey.louise. And if you like what you're seeing on here, please give a like and a subscribe because it really helps support my channel in reaching a wider audience. In today's video, we are looking at the barriers to accessing mental health treatment and particularly in mental health treatment, accessing the appropriate level of care. Bye. Well, welcome. I'm going to be a straight shooter for a moment and acknowledge the fact that I am not doing very well with my eating disorder at the moment. And so it kind of is a very timely video for me to be talking about the barriers to accessing mental health treatment because there are quite a lot of barriers and it's something that makes advocating for yourself extremely, extremely difficult. So I've got my handy notebook here today. I've taken some pretty extensive notes and yeah buckle in for the ride i hope that it's informative and i hope that the more of us that speak about these challenges potentially the more funding and more resources might be given to mental health treatment or in my case specifically eating disorder treatment and so i guess i'll start by talking about the fact that i'm struggling quite a lot and I need a higher level of care than I'm currently getting but I have been on a wait list for an inpatient bed for a very very long time. Now I'm talking a few months here, uh, it's been about 13 weeks and I am so um, happy to say now that I actually do have a bed locked down for next week which will be quite a few weeks ago by the time you're seeing this video so I am really pleased that my team has advocated for me and that I am able to receive that high level of care but I know that that's not always the case for everybody and I think there's a real fundamental flaw in the system because the system actually means that you end up much sicker than if you had have had treatment in a shorter amount of time if you hadn't had to wait so long and you know that's not the organization faults, there's only a limited number of beds, there is way, 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 way higher demand than there is available beds and I totally acknowledge that but I still think that there's something wrong with the system because the amount of time that you have to wait for a higher level of care means that you get more and more unwell and there's actually a cutoff for private psychiatric treatment where you actually end up too unwell for a private bed and you're not actually unwell enough for a public bed because they're in such short supply in our country and it gets prioritized on who's the sickest so if 
you are too unwell for private psychiatric treatment but not unwell enough for an eating disorder public bed, you end up on a general medical ward where the treatment really, what do I say, lacks education and understanding about how to treat eating disorders and it just means that your needs are really not getting met in a way that's helpful. Yeah, I think that that's all that I want to say on that. And so I've done a bit of a look around and gotten a little bit of research and the Butterfly Foundation says that 9% of Australians will develop an eating disorder in their lifetime. 9% of 24.99 million people is, if I can do maths, 2,249,100 people. And I know that's across a lifespan, but just gives you a bit of an idea of how many beds are actually needed and how many people are actually unwell. And it was estimated in 2012 that approximately 1 million Australians were experiencing an eating disorder at that point in time. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that there are many different levels of treatment and most people are seen in an outpatient setting. But when you get acutely unwell and need an inpatient bed, it really takes a very long time and it really feels like you're pushing shit up a hill and banging your head against a brick wall if I'm being totally honest. So treatment for eating disorders, eating disorders go for a long time and so the treatment that you need crosses a huge span of time and as you can imagine it ends up being quite expensive when you're needing to pay for all these private appointments because Medicare subsidizes 20 dietetic sessions in a year under the new eating disorder treatment pathway. You get 40 psychological treatment sessions across a year just so you know I use them in about half a year. They are able to do Medicare billing for your GP and I know that there's something that you can some subsidy that you can get for your psychiatrist as well but there still leaves this huge huge financial cost to you in order to get the help that you need and beautiful Callie Ann I will link in the description box below has done a wonderful blog post on the financial cost and how you end up getting into debt just in order to basically stay alive and work towards living the life that people want for you and maybe you want for you or maybe you're stuck in a dark and hopeless place too and in that case I know for me when I'm in that place it really requires the hope of other people to keep you treading water to keep you going and working towards getting the right treatment so I spoke a little bit about in 2012 there being 1 million Australians experiencing an eating disorder. Now, I alluded to the number of public beds being inadequate, and what I could find on the internet is that there's actually only 37, yes, 37 public beds within Australia. So you can imagine that the demand far outweighs the resources that are available, which is absolutely horrendous for anyone who is going through the process of seeking treatment. And public is, you know, where people want or need to go when finances are really strained. 37 beds, like that's it. 37 beds when there are that many people experiencing an eating disorder. It literally 
like blows my mind. And another statistic on health.gov.au is that anorexia has the highest mortality rate, 20% in 20 years. So that's 20% of people with anorexia will die within a 20 year time frame. And it's the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. And yet facilities are being closed down because there's not enough funding, which is just, again, like makes my mind explode and makes me feel quite helpless sometimes and at other times fires me up and makes me feel very angry. <sighs> it's nuts. In anorexia, the death by physical causes is five times that of what's expected in the same age group and death by suicide is 32 times that which is expected. Like, let that sink in for a moment. Like, that is a huge number of people who are A, dying by physical causes, and be so helpless and so hopeless that the only way that they feel like they can get some relief is by ending their own life. And I know I'm jumping a bit all over the place at the moment, but back to, to cost being a huge barrier to treatment. The way that eating disorders can be treated is hospital inpatient treatment. There are comprehensive day programs where people go intensively and get support, you know, up to sort of five days a week, but they're only available inside of capital cities. And I know that the Butterfly Foundation has an online day program, but it's only available to people up to the age of 25. And example A right here, eating disorders don't end at the age of 25. I have recently turned 30 and find it very hard to access any of those resources or support that are supposedly available to us and that we get told to reach out to but then to be met with oh no you're too old you don't meet the criteria or the cutoff is pretty horrendous and I know I've said hopeless and helpless quite a bit so far in this video but that really is what it lends itself to that sense of hopelessness that there's no point that you know when you want help it's not available to you I am so so incredibly grateful to have the most amazing outpatient team. I have four professionals who really go to town, really advocate, really fire up, really follow up for me, especially in this time where I've just sort of thrown my hands up in the air and felt like, you know, there's no point because the wait lists are too long and when I need the treatment, I can't get it. And yeah, it's really... It's really quite an exhausting process when it's an uphill battle. You're pushing shit up a hill. It is so heavy. You never lose, you never get to put down the weight of what you're carrying. And you're just having to advocate and to fight for a higher level of care that part of you is so, so violently. And like, I mean, violently opposed to that you're just like, What's the point? Like, I don't really want this. I can't, I don't have the energy to fight for this. I'm obviously not sick enough, which is the biggest load of bullshit in the whole world. Everyone who is struggling is sick enough. But the system sort of tells you, look, you're not. Other people are getting prioritised ahead of you. And you kind of sit there and think, well, why not me? What's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Do I need to get sicker? 
for people to pay attention to me? Do I need to get sicker to get a higher level of care? Oh, but don't get too sick because then you can't have that treatment either. And it really is this back and forth and push and pull and, you know, it's a real dichotomy because there is so much of you, so much of the eating disorder that is so powerful and only gains strength the more unwell that you get. And yet there's this healthy part of you that knows like, oh shit, like, I'm pretty unwell and I can't manage with the level of support that I have. As amazing as my outpatient team are, I kind of need supervision all the time. That's where I'm at at the moment. I need people to sit with me at every single meal and every single snack. And I need psychological support pretty much all of the day when I am meeting that meal plan. And yeah, that's only really available from an inpatient setting, but there are so many unwell people who are waiting for a bed that the wait list is way too long way too long. Something that I find, and again, this was inspired by Callie, a post that she posted on her Instagram the other day. I really need to talk about how difficult it is while having the most incredible amount of privilege. And when I say privilege, I mean in a general sense, I am white, I am female, I am middle class, I... I'm physically able, what else? So many other things that I can't think of. And I can just, just afford private health insurance, which means that I can go to a private mental health facility. And I can just, again, just with the financial help of my treating teams, they are incredible. I shit you not, they are the most incredible humans on this planet. I can just meet the costs of my outpatient treatment and there are so many people who aren't in that position. I meet all of the DSM criteria for anorexia. A, the DSM is absolute bullshit because it just stops people from being able to get the treatment that they need if they can't get, if they don't meet or tick all of the boxes. Bullshit BMI, I meet that criteria. There are people so much more unwell than me who get denied access to treatment because their BMI is above a certain point. BMI was... I think I need to make another video on BMI. But BMI was made up by a mathematician and it was designed to be used on men, white men, and it was never intended to be used for medical purposes. Can you see the flaw in that? I'm gonna talk about it in a different video, but that's one little bit about why BMI is bullshit. And BMI stops people from getting treatment. It's as simple as that. People say that there's no weight bias. Eating disorders don't have a look, they don't have a size. The size of a person Good times, rookie mistake. My camera ran out of battery. So let's see how I go at picking up where we left off. I was talking about BMI and how I might do another video on BMI. But basically, yeah, I've got so much privilege. I've never been told that I'm not sick enough. I've never been told that I don't deserve treatment. And I know that there are so, so many people who aren't afforded the same benefits as, as I have been. And, you know, it's something that's really important to acknowledge. And it absolutely breaks my heart that people literally get told that they're not sick enough, not even just the story that they're making up in their head, which is what I do. They're actually being told, you know, not sick enough, you can't have treatment and then they go and get sick enough. And that means that their recovery or their treatment takes a whole lot longer. And particularly, you know, if we're looking at really long wait lists, if people are deteriorating so much before they go in, then obviously they've got a whole lot of length to go and it means that their stays a bit longer. So 
you know, it's really unfortunate, but I guess it is the way that the system is at the moment. And hopefully with enough advocacy and enough acknowledgement, maybe eating disorders will be able to get a bit more funding. Who knows? I guess that's the idea. But yeah, I have so much privilege and it's still so very difficult. And I have had the absolute privilege of speaking with Callie recently. And I know I've mentioned her name a lot in this video, but before two days ago, Callie was a complete stranger on the internet and she took time out of her day to voice message with me back and forth on Instagram and, and talk about like, cause I was so frustrated about, you know, needing the higher level of care and then being on this wait list and having no idea when it's gonna happen happen and then being concerned about whether I'd be medically well enough to go to the treatment and it's just like such a violent shit show in your head but I'm so lucky to have spoken to her because she really helped to validate and comfort me in knowing that I'm not alone in the process and I quite often say this kind of thing where I don't really want anyone else to completely understand what my experience is because it means that they've been through it themselves but there is something so I guess special about being seen and heard by somebody who you know has been through it and really gets it so thank you so much Callie you really have made a huge difference to my past few days I'm mean, going to highly recommend that any of you watching this do go and check her out on Instagram at cals underscore Anne and I've linked that blog post as well about the financial struggle I guess of treatment in the description box below and so I guess to sort of wrap up this video I can acknowledge how much privilege I have and it's really important for people in a privileged position to talk about their privilege but also I think it's really important for me to acknowledge for myself that acknowledging my privilege does doesn't take away from the pain and the difficulty that I come up against, even with the privilege. I think Brene Brown speaks a bit about this, but not comparing your struggles to somebody else's and saying that because their struggle is harder, that yours is invalid. Both can exist at the same time. And so while my heart literally breaks for other people who are in a much less privileged position than me, it's still gut-wrenching. It's still really difficult. I cry about it a lot. I get angry about it a lot mostly the crying less of the anger but it would be probably healthier if I was a little bit more angry as my friends and my psychologist like me to acknowledge that anger exists and that it's safe and okay yeah so acknowledging my privilege doesn't take away from the pain and the discomfort of it but it does help to create a kinder more compassionate and safer space for everybody to remind people that they still deserve treatment that they deserve a higher level of support if that's what they need that we are all sick enough there is no sick enough for the eating disorder but if you're struggling you're sick enough and I want to speak about that in a future video as well because your mind will tell you so many times over that you are not sick enough and that you don't deserve help what else do I want to acknowledge in this video that we all need to keep asking for help even when we feel like we don't deserve it we need to keep asking our teams to advocate 
advocate for us, when we can't advocate for ourselves. We need to keep speaking about, in whatever setting feels most comfortable to you, about the challenges because when we can sort of share the burden of them, it does allow for that recognition, for the validation, for the comforting. And that might not be talking on YouTube or talking on Instagram. That might mean a really intimate conversation with your psychologist or a really intimate conversation with your best friend. Doesn't matter so long as you're talking about it. And I guess the reminder is for myself and for you not to give up because the system is so challenging. Don't give up. And that's what Callie said to me. She's like, just don't give up. You can do this. Keep making noise. Don't give up. Anyway, let's keep talking. Conversation stays open in my emails, in the comments section below, in my direct messages on Instagram. If this video resonates with you at all, please do give it a like, give it a share, subscribe to my channel. If um, you like what I'm putting up here, I upload new videos every Thursday evening or that's what I endeavor to continue doing. And let's rally together, let's advocate and fingers crossed that hopefully eating disorders and other mental health challenges can get the financial support in the bigger sector that they need so that wait lists can be shorter, so that people can access their appropriate level of care when they need it, rather than having the time to deteriorate or to become more unwell. Thank you so much, you guys. Big love. I really appreciate every single person who watches this video. Take good care and I will see you next time. Bye. That sums up today's episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. Let me know what you think in the comments or by direct message on Instagram or on my YouTube channel. Thank you again so much and I will talk to you soon. Bye.